Well, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas to you. I'll put this thing back up now if I can. Uh, get my big boy stand on here. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, good to be with you guys. Good to have you with us here today. Um, today we're going to be talking about um, experiencing joy uh, during this Christmas season. And I was thinking this week and, and ran across a story uh, uh, that really... Uh, for me, I think paints a great picture of the joy that can be ours. It's written by a guy by the name of John Ortberg. He's an author, he's a pastor, and uh, he writes a story about his young daughter at the time who was filled with joy, uh, her, whose name was Mallory, and he says this. He says, some time ago, uh, I was giving a bath to our kids. He says, we have three children, three small children, and we have this custom of bathing them all together. It's kind of a time-saving thing, he says. We know, we know that the day will come when they'll be too old, that we can't bathe them together anymore, like when they're in high school or something, he says jokingly. But for now, it's an efficient use of our time, and so that's what we do. He says, this one time I was bathing them. Johnny was still in the tub, and Laura, our oldest, was on drip dry. He said, I was trying to get Mallory dried off, our middle kid. She was out of the tub, but not really into getting dry that particular day. She was doing what has affectionately become known as the D-Da-Day dance. This consists of Mallory running around and around and around in circles saying, D-da-day, 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 over and over and over. It's a relatively simple dance, he says. We think Mallory kind of invented it. It's a dance of great joy because Mallory is a joyful person. And when she's so happy that she just can't hold it inside any longer, she has to do a dance to release this joy. And so she's doing it. She's doing the D-da-day dance, and I wanted to get her dry so I could get on with Johnny. And I, so I said, Mallory, hurry up. And so she started running faster and faster and faster in circles, going D-da-day, D-da-day, D-da-day. And so I said again, Mallory, come on, hurry. And she, she looked at me, and she said, why? And he said, I had no answer. I mean, I had nothing I had to do. I had no place that I had to go. I had no meetings. It was a Saturday night. There was nothing else on my docket. It's just that I've become so addicted to hurrying, so trapped by the busyness of going from one task to the next, to the next, to the next, that here was life. Here was joy right in front of me. Here was an invitation to the dance, and I was missing it. He said, so I got up and I joined her. Mallory and I, right in the middle of the bathroom, did the D-da-day dance together, right there in the bathroom. He said, he said, she said I was pretty good at it for an old guy. He said, I was reflecting on this later, and I came to the con this con conclusion about my life, that I generally tend to divide my life into two different categories, living and waiting to live. He said, almost all of my life falls under the category of waiting to live things that I just have to get through so that I can get on with life. Things like driving someplace or standing in line somewhere, trying to get through a meeting or get the next task done, worrying about something bad that might happen or being grumpy over something bad that did happen. Drying the kids was just something that I was trying to get through to get on with the rest of my life. But with Mallory, that's not the case. See, Mallory, she just lives so when she's taking a bath, it's a D-da-day moment, he says. And when it's time to get out of the tub and get dried, that's another D-da-day moment. And then after she's dried off, the next moment, that'll be a D-da-day moment too. Life for her is just a series of D-da-day moments. She's teaching me about joy, he says. And joy lives at the very heart of God. Isn't that a great quote? 
Joy lives at the very heart of God. Joy is a gift to people who live with God at the heart of God. Joy is how we are meant to live our lives. It's a byproduct from staying connected to the living God. It's a fruit of the Spirit, the Bible tells us. Joy is meant to be at the heart of the Christian life, and joy is smack dab in the middle of the Christmas story. And so today, I want us to learn some, some, uh, a little bit about and experience joy afresh as we look at the Christmas story today. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to uh, Luke chapter 2. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, you can also, if you've, got the, if you've downloaded the Ignite Church app, um, there's a place in there. You can click on sermon notes, and it'll have the scriptures in there for the day. You can also just follow along um, as we read through this together. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1, it's the Christmas story. And uh, I want you just to listen as we read through this together. It says, in those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. And so Joseph also went uh, up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and to the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave, birth to her, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Listen to this. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. All right. So Jesus is born. God sends an angel. Did you know that the word angel literally means messenger? Do you know that? Well, trivia for you today, a little Bible trivia. Literally means messenger. And so God sends this angel, this messenger, to declare the birth of his son. And he says, good news has come to you today. One translation says, I bring you the best news ever announced. <laughs> I bring you uh, good news that will cause great joy, he says, for all the people, for everybody. This is sort of a D-da day moment, right, in history. Good news of great joy for everyone, he says, because a Savior has come, because a Savior has been born to you. Because God himself has come to be with us. And that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning. I want to look at the joy that's announced that first Christmas. The joy, the best news ever announced. That, and we're going to look at two pieces of that. That a Savior has come and that the Emmanuel, God with us, has come and now resides with us and in us. And so that's nothing uh, too earth shattering here. But I want us to look at the joy in the Christmas story from these two things. So the first one, there's joy because a Savior has come, right? Luke 2.10, we just read, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people because today in the town of David, a Savior has come. A Savior has been born to you, he says. 
What's the great news in the story? What's the, what's the cause for great joy? It's that a savior has been born to you, a savior. The most joyous thing you can possibly imagine, God says. I'm sending someone to you. I'm sending my son to you. I'm sending a savior to you to rescue you. Is that good news? Does that cause great joy? Joy, the most joyous news you've ever heard? Yeah. It is. And yet somehow I think we get more joy out of lots of other things oftentimes. I was thinking about it this week and thinking, man, if you were to ask the average person and we were to answer honestly throughout this season, what's the most joyful news you've heard this year? I wonder if Star Wars wouldn't make the top 10. <laughs> right? I wonder, I wonder if some other things might not creep up the list. And of course, are those fun? Is there anything wrong with enjoying Star Wars? No. But I tell you what, I think it's, it's easy for us to sort of lose sight. We've, we've heard this story before, a lot of us, right? We've read it. We've been to church. I mean, I can remember going, uh, my parents both worked in a, a church when I was growing up. And so oftentimes I'd have to sit through like two, three, four, five different Christmas services. I mean, my eyes were rolled back into my head, you know, by the end as a kid, and you're just thinking, man, I have heard this before. Good news of great joy. Yes, a child has been born to you, put in a manger, right? I mean, we kind of know the story, and to us, it doesn't seem like that great a news. I mean, it's easy just to lose sight of, of how big a deal this was. It's easy for us just to think, you know, I mean, that's good. That's, that's good news for us, but there's a lot of other good things. I'm going to get together with my family. I got some sweet presents that are coming my way, right? I mean, come on. This is good news. These are things that bring me great joy. Oh, yeah, and Jesus, right? And, and a Savior's been born, too. There's a quote I was thinking about this week. I think it's from Moody. I couldn't uh, put my finger on it. But it says this. It says, if you knew what you were saved from, he says, you would die of fear. Like knowing what he means by that is like if you knew like the reality of hell, the reality of separation from God, the reality of where our lives were headed before Christ. He's like, if you knew where that was going, you would die of fear. He says, but if you knew what you were saved for, if you knew why Christ came, if you understood the love that he has for you, the sacrifice that he gave for you, he says, you'd die of joy. I think sometimes we just have lost sight of how good of news this is because we've lost sight of why Christ came, of where our lives were headed before him. I mean, this is real. According to scripture, you and I were lost. We were separated completely from God. We were dying, literally, on our own, apart from him. We were headed for a loveless, joyless eternity in hell because of our own sin. According to the Bible, we were without hope and there was nothing that we could do about it. That was our reality. We were enslaved and are enslaved by our own sin on our own. We were separated from God. We were in need of saving. And on our own, even today, right now, we are in need of saving apart from Christ. I remember, uh, I'll tell you a couple stories here. I remember... Um, not we, uh, Tina and I have a good friend uh, that 
of ours from college, lived a couple doors down from Tina uh, a couple years at school, and uh, just a good friend of ours. I remember maybe a decade ago now hearing, hearing from her. She sent out a Christmas letter or uh, uh, something, an email, and we had heard from her, and she was sharing about um, her dad had been having health struggles for years and years and years that had been going on. He had diabetes, and, uh, and so that had taken a pretty significant toll on his body. He'd also had heart disease uh, that had been going on. I mean, it had been one thing to the next to the next, and finally, his kidneys just shut down. They were done. It was, it was, it was like game over. He was on full dialysis all the time, and, and if you've ever uh, seen that or been up close and personal to that, you can do that for a while, but at some point, that starts taking a tremendous toll on your body physically. Dialysis that's filtering your blood and trying to take out all the impurities and all that kind of stuff. And uh, in this particular instance, the doctors had come back to them and said, look, I mean, dialysis can only sustain you here for so long and your body is deteriorating to the point where if you don't get a transplant soon, you're not going to make it. You're not going to survive. And as you can imagine, I mean, he and the whole family started kind of freaking out and just, I mean, there's nothing they could do except pray and, and, uh, that a suitable match, a suitable donor could be found. Unbeknownst to him, because I'm sure he would have objected <laughs> to this at this point, but his daughter, our friend Jenny uh, is her name, went and got tested and uh, found that her kidney was actually a match for her dad. And so, uh, like I said, 10 years ago, it was uh, 2006, uh, I, I believe. I had the date here someplace. Oh, yeah, November 16th of 2006, our friend went in and gave her kidney to her dad. I mean, you got you to gotta think about that. It's a pretty significant, a pretty painful operation. There was risk to her. I mean, there was a chance that something could happen, right? There's all kinds of risk about what would happen if her other kidney failed, if this was, I mean, all this kind of stuff. And yet this daughter sacrificed for her dad, gave, her, gave him a kidney and saved his life. Would that not be pretty incredible? As a dad, can you imagine your daughter or your son coming to you and saying, Dad, I love you so much that I'm willing to go through this procedure. I'm willing to give you of myself to save your life. Is that something that as a dad, you'd be like, okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. Is that how you'd respond? Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. That's, that's kind of nice of you. Is that, is that how you'd respond? Not so much. How, how do you think you'd respond to that? I mean, if your, your, your kid came and said, I'm going to give you life. I mean, I'm going I'm to go through this painful surgery so that you can live. How would you respond? Think there might be some joy in your heart? You are in need of saving. You were going to die, and your daughter saved you. Is that kind of a big deal? <laughs> you think maybe thank you would come out of your mouth like about 100 million times again and again and again and again? You think there would be joy? You think there would be heartfelt? You think there would be tears? You think it would change their relationship? I'm sure it would. I mean, what would that do to a dad's heart <laughs> to see your, your daughter do this for you? Pretty amazing. I shared this story once before, but I remember hearing a, a, another story about a guy who was in the sh uh, Chicago... Uh, I can't remember, what, what's the other paper? I can't think of that. Not the, not the Tribune, but the other one. Sun-Times, yeah, yeah. The Chicago Sun-Times a number of years ago about this guy uh, that had actually, his, his wheelchair was in the shop. He was, he was a guy that was um, 
uh, confined to a wheelchair. And so he'd gotten a loner electric wheelchair, and he lived in Glen Ellen, Illinois. His name was Roy Larson. And uh, he was on his way to get his hair cut downtown, thought, you know, thought that uh, about the extent of his day would just be hassling with his loner wheelchair and, and uh, going to his haircut and back and forth and that kind of stuff. But he was going over the train tracks in Glen Ellen when something happened, and the wheel, the front wheel of his wheelchair got stuck in the tracks. And as he's sitting there struggling with his electric wheelchair, something happens where the electric part shorted out. So he's stranded there on the tracks, just in this true story, just in time for him to hear that sound. Ding, 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 ding. Gates before and behind him close. A train's coming. Now at this moment, how do you think he's feeling? He's panicking, right? This is a man that is in need of saving, right? He's like, if, if nobody comes to help me, I'm dead on my own. There's nothing I can do. Well, about this time, he starts, obviously, this panic look on his face. He looks around, and there's two cars, two guys by the name of uh, Mark Bade and Don Bergeson stopped their cars at the gates as the train was approaching, saw that Roy was in distress. They jump out of their cars, and they go frantically trying to pull the thing loose, getting the wheel unstuck and getting this guy dragged off the tracks. They just get off the tracks when they look up. The train, I kid you not, was 20 feet from them, go zipping by. It was, uh, it was an experience express train, right? It's going like, I don't know, how fast does Amtrak go? I mean, like, he was going fast, right? It goes zipping right by them. He says, he says this, after the three men uh, just clearing uh, the, the train, after they look up uh, and, and realize what's happening, he said, all I could say was thank you over and over and over again. Thank you, thank you. He said, the only reason I am here today is because these two guys saved my life. He was a guy that was in need of rescue. He was in need desperately of somebody to rescue him, somebody to save him. And when they did, thankfulness and gratefulness and joy is what God came out of his mouth. It's what God expressed. There was good news of great joy for him that day. I bet he told everybody he'd ever met the story about how these guys stepped up and saved him and rescued him. It was good news of great joy, wouldn't it be? Pretty crazy. I can imagine you'd want to, I mean, you'd want to express thanks to somebody like that, to a daughter that, that risks her life to save you, to two guys that you don't even know that jump out of their car and pull you to safety and freedom. I can only imagine you want to take them home and have your wife and kids meet the people that saved you. You'd want to have a, have a dinner in their honor. You'd want to express gratitude and joy. It'd be amazing. It would literally be good news of great joy. Well, this Christmas deal that we celebrate and that we remember this time of year is no less than that, right? At a minimum, it, we celebrate and remember that a Savior has come. We remember that we, according to Scripture, right, according to God's book, we are people that are in need of saving. Over and over and over again, we have turned away from God. We have gone our own way. We have sinned. We've missed the mark. We've blown it. We've screwed up. Can we at least be honest and say that? Have we blown it and screwed up and turned away? Yeah, that's the reality that we find ourselves in. And according to God's book, right, a Savior has come for us. Somebody has come, a Savior has come, Jesus has come, and he came to live his life, but eventually to die, to give his life, to pay the debt for our sins, the debt that we deserved, so that we could come back to God, so that we could be forgiven 
so that we could, we could experience heaven one day when we die and so that we could be restored today with the living God and live our lives with him. He offers to do that. We were dead, but Christ came and snatched us and saved us and rescued us. Listen to a couple of these verses. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 puts it this way. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature had not yet been cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ He forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it away and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says this. But as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. But because of God's great love for you, And for me, for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins. It's by grace that you have been saved. Man, the reality according to what God says is that you and I, because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of going our own way, we were on death row spiritually and a savior came for you and for me and he died for you and he rose again so that you and I could be completely forgiven, so that we could be set free from our sin, so that we could be reunited with a loving God, and so that we could live a new life with him. A savior has come for you, which means no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've screwed up in your past or in your present, there is a savior that's come for you. There's freedom and forgiveness and a happily ever after forever that is offered to you and to me. He's come and now he offers to wipe out our past. He offers to make us new and he offers to give you a joy-filled, glorious future with him. If you'll come and open up your heart and life to him, if you'll come and put your trust in him, you think that's good news? You think that's a D-da day? Yeah, absolutely. Friends, there is unbelievably good news for you and for me today because a savior has come. Whether we recognize our need for saving or not, We are a people in need of saving and God loved you too much to leave you there so he came and he snatched you to safety. He's he's brought, he's done everything possible for you to come back home to the Father, for you to experience forgiveness and new life and reconciliation with God. And he says, man, it's a gift that I offer to you freely. If you'll turn back to me and just cry out, Jesus, I need you. Would you come? Would you be my savior? Would you come and take away my sins? I need you. Would you forgive me and make me new? If you have never done that today, done, done that up to this point, then I would just encourage you, man, today's your day. Today could be your Dida day in that sense. You could experience joy like you've never known because a savior has come for you. It's the first one. Second one is this, there is unbelievable joy because God is with us, because the Emmanuel is with us. Luke 2, 10 and 11, we've just read and I'll, I'll read it again, but it says, it doesn't just stop with savior, it goes on. It says, an angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people, for today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. But he goes on and says, he's the Messiah, he's the chosen one, the promised one, he is Christ the Lord. Anytime you refer to Messiah or uh, Christ is, is the the other word that means the same thing 
you're referring to a promise that has been given for hundreds of years through the prophets in the Old Testament. This is what the, the people of Israel, the people of God have been waiting for up until this point. And there's this promise that had been given to Abraham and then to Isaac and had been given again to David and been given throughout history that's saying, man, there's one that's coming from God, a savior, God himself, God's son will come. And he will open up this new way and this new life and this new relationship so that you can be restored to God. And then the, 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 it always is the same. And he says, and at that point, things will be restored. They'll be how they were meant to be. And God will be with you, right? And, and he will be your God and you will be his people. It's, a, it's kind of a picture of intimacy, of walking with, of doing relationship and life with the living God. It's actually a picture of sort of like the Garden of Eden being restored where we can go back into right relationship with God before, like a relationship like before sin came into the world. Matthew puts it like this. Uh, he quotes from Isaiah 7, and he puts it slightly differently, but I think it's, it's the same sentiment. It says, all this, it's, it's talking about the Christmas story, all this stuff took place uh, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Again, it's, it's, it's a picture of that promise being realized of of God once again dwelling with his people and being their God and and uh, God's people being able to walk with him and know him and be with him and uh, having him even be in us not only is there great joy because of what Christ came to do that first Christmas and on that good Friday and Easter there's joy not only because he came as savior although that is incredibly joy producing news but Matthew takes it sort of a step further, as does Luke, and says this Savior, this Almighty God is God who came to be with us and to live in us. Now think about this with me. The God of the universe, the God who is characterized by joy and love and peace, has not just come to save you, but he's come to live life with you and to be in you. Imagine that. Think about that for a minute. God, the most joyful being in the universe, has come to do life with you, has come to fill you and to be with you and to live in you. You think that has any consequences? You think that could transform somebody? Let me build a case a little bit here just for God being uh, this joy-filled God. Listen to some of, these, some of this language. This is awesome. Uh, Psalm 1611 puts it this way. He says, you make known to me uh, the path of life. It says this, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In, in your presence, he says, there is complete and full joy that's available to you. Psalm 43, 4 puts it this way. Then I will go to the altar. I'll go to worship, basically, basically the altar of my God. To God, my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. God is the God of exceeding joy. You ever think about God that way? God, the most joyful being in the universe. God, a God of exceeding joy. Psalm 4, 7 puts it this way. You have put more joy in my heart, God, than they have when their grain and their new wine abound. 
It's a picture of like at the harvest, an agrarian culture that has been waiting and waiting and waiting and as their food supplies have gotten depleted and depleted and depleted throughout the season. And then harvest comes and the granaries are filled again. There is food for another season. There's joy. There's laughter. A lot of times they'd have festivals and celebrations thanking God for his provision and his abundance. And he's saying, you know what? God, you put more joy in my heart than, than the best thing this world has to offer, than the best moments uh, this world has to offer. C.S. Lewis put it this way. It's a great quote. He says, joy is the serious business of heaven. Isn't that great? It's the same God, the God of exceeding joy, the God who fills us with joy in his presence. It's the same God who says, I am the Emmanuel. I'm the God that is with you. I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is the God who saved us, but this is also the God, the God who fills us and walks with us and leads us and guides us and directs us and brings joy to our souls as we follow and submit and put our trust in him. Is that good news? It is. I was thinking about different places in scripture where we see this and I ran across again this week a, a story from Acts uh, chapter 6. It's a story about a government official from Ethiopia and a Christ follower named Philip. And this Ethiopian official is riding along in his chariot when God speaks to one of his followers named Philip and says, I want you to go up to that chariot and kind of trail along behind it. And I'm going to give you instructions about what you're to do. And so Philip comes running up behind this chariot as it trots along. And he hears this guy, this Ethiopian, reading a prophecy about Jesus from the book of Isaiah, right? And he's reading this. And so uh, Philip strikes up this conversation and God sort of opens up the door for him to share Christ with them and say, you know, the person that you're reading reading about is, is Jesus. He came. He came as a savior. He came as God. He came to bring new life and to restore you and to fill you and be in you and all this kind of stuff. And this Ethiopian ends up opening up his heart and life to God. He gets baptized on the spot as they're, as they're riding along. They see some water and he says, let's stop. We'll baptize you. And so the guy gets baptized. And at the end of the story, it's great because this is how, this is what it says is the Ethiopian then went on his way rejoicing. Isn't that great? It means literally he went on his way filled with joy. And I was thinking about that this week and just thinking, you know why? There's really two reasons, isn't there? The first one is he had received and experienced the Savior had come. And he had, he'd been made new. He'd been given a second chance, right? He had, he had come to know Christ in the forgiveness and the power and the second chances that he gives. He had been transformed and experienced Christ as Savior. But not just that. He'd also been filled with According to scripture, he'd been filled with that God of all joy. He had been transformed and made new. He discovered and heard afresh that the God of the universe cares deeply for him. That he loved him so much that he died for him. So that he could live. So that he could know God afresh. It was a D-Da day, and he went on his way rejoicing. You know, it's been 20-plus years since, I, the first, since the first time that I kind of turned my life over to Christ, and I looked to him and opened up my heart and life and said, you know, Jesus, I don't know everything about you. I'm not clear on everything, but what I know is I need you, and I want you, and I want to learn to follow you. Would you come in, and would you forgive me, and would you make me new? 
And I'll tell you what, best moment of my life by far. I'll, I, I can't explain to you exactly, but I have never known joy like I have found in, in, in relationship with Christ. I mean, I've still struggled with stuff. I've gone through hard seasons, but even in the midst of that stuff, I've been amazed at uh, when I come before Jesus, when I bow in prayer, when I open up his word, I can find joy and I can find peace and I can find life like you can't find anywhere else. It's uncanny. It's, it's why I think sometimes we need to come and worship even when we're going through hard times where we need to connect with, with the living God and just be filled with his peace and his joy again even in the midst of hard times, even when things don't make sense in our lives, even when we're struggling that we can find strength and joy and peace to be able to go on. There's joy in his presence. There really is. That's where joy begins with him, with the God of exceeding joy. And as we remain in him, we experience and find joy and peace and love. Now, don't misunderstand. God also gets and understands our sorrow. Jesus himself was described as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief and suffering. But the sorrow of God, friends, is temporary. The sorrow of God is a temporary response to a fallen, sinful world. And one day, sorrow will be eliminated when God finally puts everything back right, back the way it was meant to be. But joy is not like that. Joy is central to God's character. It will remain with him forever because it's who he is. It's why the apostle Paul could say, rejoice in the Lord always because he knew that joy is not just the absence of problems, but joy is the presence of God, right? That's where joy comes from. It's not the removal of suffering and pain and difficulty from our lives. It's the awareness that there is a God who is with us in the midst of pain and difficulty that brings joy and peace and love. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for you, God, are with me. This is part of the reality of why Jesus came, so that we, so that all of us could lead lives that are just intoxicated by God's joy and presence and fullness as we walk with and are filled with him. God offers something better, not just life on our own, right? Not just life filled with whatever this world has to offer. He offers not just salvation when we die, that one day we'll get to go to heaven. He offers that, but he offers so much more. Christ came to fill us and to be with us and to lead us and guide us now, didn't he? Not just when we die. Joy and peace and love like you could never experience on your own. He offers now because of Christ as well. He wants to fill you and transform you and show you that life to the full. Like John 10.10 10 speaks about life to the full now and forever. Friends, this is the Christmas story. This is good news of great joy for all the people because number one, a savior has come for you. He has. And because number two, God, the living God, the God of all joy has come to fill you and be with you forever. He's come to rescue you. He's come to forgive you. He's come to make you new, but he's also come to fill you and lead you and guide you and be with you forever. The God of all joy, the Savior of the world for you and with you and in you. It's good news. Good news of great joy for the world, but it's not meant to just be a story that we hear once a year and say, all right, a baby's come, a savior's been born, good. This is good news, this is joy that's meant to be received and embraced in our hearts and lives. 
right? We're meant to open up our hearts and lives to Christ, receiving him into our lives as the Savior, as the only one who can pay the price for our sins, the only one that can free us and save us and bring us to life again, and to live our lives embracing him every moment in the reality of his presence, in the presence of a joy-filled God. In just a minute, we're going to sing our closing song, which is kind of a variation, a new modern version of an, the old Christmas song, Joy to the World. And I just love the, the language of it, right? I mean, it says, joy to the world, the Lord has come. But then, it, then comes the response, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare room for him. And that's really my prayer today. It'd be not just that we talk, uh, you know, an encouraging message, that we talk a good game about joy, uh, you know, the joy of the season and that kind of stuff, but really joy comes from the presence of God. And so my heart and my prayer is that you and I, wherever we're at, would turn towards him this morning, would open up our hearts and lives, would cry out, Jesus, we need you. We are number one, we're in need of saving. God, on our own, we will wreck our lives we are headed in the opposite direction and things are not gonna end up well for us. But we turn to you, we turn away from that stuff and we turn back to you, we open up our hearts and lives and we say, we are in need of saving. Would you come and forgive me? Would you come and make me new, Jesus? I need you. The Bible says that when we put our faith and trust in Christ like that, that the living God comes and he forgives us. He does indeed make us new. We are restored to God. We're adopted into his family and we are filled with his spirit. It's the source of all joy right there. If you've never done that, friends, do it today. Maybe the truth be told, maybe there's stuff going on with you and you've been looking for joy and that fullness of joy in things of this world. And maybe this morning the living God is prompting you and speaking to you and saying, you know what? That's never gonna deliver like you think it will. Maybe today God's drawing you back home to turn back towards him and, and let your heart, right, prepare room for Christ. Open, open widely up to him and say, Jesus, I need you. Would you forgive me for looking at all the wrong places for life and for joy and for what my soul craves? Would you come and fill me? Would you come and be enough in my life, I need you. Maybe the reality of your life is that you've prayed that prayer before, you've done that before, but really you're not experiencing his presence with you day by day, moment by moment. You've never really learned to walk with him. And maybe this week, this Christmas, God is, is screaming to you and saying, you know what, I came not just to be your savior, but to be God with you and in you. Would you today hit your knees and open up your life to him afresh? Would you tomorrow morning before your feet hit the floor, would you say, come Lord Jesus, would you come and would you lead me and teach me? I want to do my day and my life with you. Would you speak and lead and direct would you open up your word to me afresh? Would you open my ears to hear the promptings and the leadings of your spirit so that I can know your presence with me and in me and I can live in your presence and your joy? Man, what a difference that would make in our lives. Joy to the world, right? The Lord has come. Let us receive our king. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, that's our cry this morning. We want to just open up our hearts and lives and we pray 
Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we don't want to miss you this season. In the midst of all the craziness and busyness, Lord, would you, uh, we just want to take this minute right now and just say, come, God, we need you. Father, on our own, we have pursued other things. We've screwed things up. We've gone our own way. We've sinned. And we just recognize this morning that we are a people in need of saving. Would you come and forgive us afresh? Would you come because of Jesus and wipe out our sins and make us new? Restore us to God afresh. Give us a second chance and a new lease on life this morning. Lord, we we are your kids and we need you and we want to follow you from this point forward. Come and have your way. And Father, not just, not just a Savior, but teach us to follow you moment by moment, day by day, for the Emmanuel that you are, the God with us, the God of exceeding joy that wants to live with us and in us. God, teach us to recognize your presence this week as we celebrate Christmas. May your presence and your joy be made known to us. Teach us to follow you and walk with you and love you and know you more and more and more. We need you, Jesus. May your kingdom come, God. May your will be done in us today and in us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.